Good morning. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 5. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Two necessary truths summarize the intent of the verses we just read. First, there is a battle, a supernatural battle. Second, the mind represents the location of this battle. Our teaching series, The Mind Matters, turns to the reality of our mind as a battlefield. Our mind is constantly under attack. In his book, Head Games, author Tim Downs relays the following story about Alexander the Great. On one occasion when his army was in full retreat from a larger army, Alexander the Great gave orders to his armorers to construct oversized breastplates and helmets that would fit men seven or eight feet tall. As his army would retreat, he would leave these items for the pursuing army to discover. When the enemy would find the oversized gear, they would become demoralized by the thought of fighting such giant soldiers, and they would abandon the pursuit. Satan likes to play head games with us, too, with false information for our minds, often leaving us demoralized with, with fear or doubt. The beloved first century pastor Paul knew this, and under God's inspiration, wrote of this in the first century from, from his own life context. These same scriptures we just read continue to instruct us today. Our minds are under attack from the enemy, so we need to consider two truths. The first truth, there exists a supernatural battle. Paul wrote the above verses from negative experiences. These battles that raged against his ministry and his identity. Consider some facts of spiritual battles that we learn from the human context of Paul's life. First, these negative experiences or these spiritual battles came through people. Those who were Paul's opponents who had formed opposition against his leadership. The last division of this letter, literarily speaking, recognizes throughout chapters 10 through 13 individuals who formed recognizable and subversive elements against the church at Corinth. The opponents represented unreasonable and wicked false teachers, and, and along with all their inherit, uh, adherents who attempted to corrupt the gospel message and discount Paul's apostleship. Like the Gnostic heretics who would come later, Paul's opponents prided themselves on being spiritual. A pseudo-spirituality or a fake spirituality was their game. They made spiritual claims outwardly in contrast to Paul who was content to appear weak on the outside knowing that any conflict was not met as if in battle physically with his own natural inclinations, but with spiritual weapons. 
mind. You see, for the Christian, any opposition represents true spiritual combat. We as followers of Jesus do not wrestle against flesh and blood. We know this from Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. So the enemy Satan exists behind every spiritual battle. But nonetheless, these embattled experiences of Paul became manifested in relationships and people who were against him. But there's a second quality of spiritual battles or a second fact. These negative experiences or spiritual battles come through personal accusations, not only through people, but through what people say. The first two verses of this chapter portray the, the true inflection of Paul's heart, even amid these ongoing attacks. By the humility and gentleness of God, Paul wrote, I appeal to you, I, Paul, who am timid when face to face with you, but bold towards you when I'm away. I beg you, verse 2 says, I beg you that when I come, I may not have to be as bold as I expect to be towards some people who think that we live by standards of this world. Now, the, the New International Translation of the Scripture appropriately uses quotations around the terms timid and bold. This signifies Paul's defense against his opponents as he referenced by repetition the specific verbatim accusations hoisted against his character. This faction in Corinth accused Paul of being bold at a distance, indicating when he wrote his letters, but timid when in person. If you read forward in chapter 10 to verse 10, verse 10 describes the false view of Paul's opponents that accused him of wearing two faces. Paul wrote, For some say of Paul, his letters are weighty and forceful, but in person he is unimpressive and he's, his speaking uh, amounts to nothing. What an accusation. You see, Paul did write boldly, for there were many errors within the church of Corinth that needed confrontation and Paul could not wait until a personal visit. However, many knew of Paul's mannerisms and his physical ailments, and, and thus they attacked him for appearing weak. While there were those who stood scornfully against Paul, I love this, he remained humble toward those verbal reproaches. You see, doing right in God's sight and for his kingdom always solicits scorn from the world. In fact, Revelation chapter 12, verse 10 reminds us that Satan is the accuser of the Christians, the brethren, all who believe in Christ. So spiritual battle usually takes the form of personal accusations. So what is Paul facing in his human context? People who were against him and then false accusations. But there is a third fact of this spiritual battle, these negative experiences from which Paul will teach us something about our mind. Third, spiritual battles become an opportunity for a life well lived. Regardless of what people did and said, the spiritual battles become an opportunity for a life well lived. In the face of his enemies in Corinth, Paul's desire, you read it right here in the opening verses of chapter 10, his desire was gentleness. You see, outward force never represents the way of the gospel, but strong persuasion by the power of the truth and the meekness of wisdom, uh, that demonstrates the gospel. 
Notice the tone of the apostle's epistolary voice, the way he wrote. In verse 1, Paul referenced himself in unique fashion. Paul, Paul's accustomed greeting would actually reference a first-person plural, we. He did this with almost every letter. But, but here, Paul emphasizes himself uniquely singular and defends his desire to Corinth, to come to Corinth in a spirit of humility. He owned his own heart to be timid and humble, yet to battle against the wrong and the power of the Spirit. From this same letter, 2 Corinthians, oh, there's a lot of evidence of Paul's desire to be humble. We, we find consistent proof of Paul's desire to be humble, to take the high road in the midst of conflict. Chapter 1, verse 5, Paul presented himself as one who shares in the sufferings of Christ. In chapter 2, verse 15, Paul viewed his service and ministry as the aroma of Christ. In chapter 2, verse 17, Paul referenced himself as one who speaks in Christ. And in chapter 5, verse 14 of this same letter, Paul stated he was compelled by the love of Christ. His humility was no sign of weakness, but a demonstration of Jesus controlling his life. This gave way to battling the negative experiences in the spirit and not the flesh. Uh, there's actually a fourth fact about these uh, spiritual battles, uh, these embattlements that came against Paul. He said in verse 3, for though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. So a fourth characteristic of these spiritual battles that became a reality for Paul was that the spiritual battles always call forth spiritual weapons. Although Paul recognized his own frailness as mere man, his actions were not predicated by what was human or worldly. While his opponents attacked him verbally, Paul remained confident in the spiritual and not the carnal. To walk in the flesh, Paul expressed living in the body, his physical vessel. But when Paul mentioned in the flesh with the accessory idea of weaknesses and exposure to temptation, Paul emphasized his, his limited body, his, his flesh, his earthly vessel. Paul stood resolute against any inclination of the flesh as he most certainly lived by the Spirit of God. The term live resonates a literal application of walking. Paul walked not by the flesh, not by his own limitations, nor even that which was carnal. But in the spirit, Paul realized his walk would lead him into spiritual battles. And for this, he must be armed spiritually. So we read from verse 4, the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. They're not carnal, but on the contrary, they have divine power. To demolish strongholds. So in this battle, the weapons were not of human making, but mighty to God. Meaning that all that was taking place spiritually was a mighty expression of God to the pulling down of strongholds. The, the spiritual arsenal, uh, which Paul attests, uh, became the reality and should be the reality of every Christian as it was reality for him. And this verse represents... Foremost, the presence of the Holy Spirit, which makes us strong against the devil and all his relentless attacks. Also, the emphasis of spiritual weapons involve, if I may quote John Calvin, the doctrine of the gospel, a burning zeal for our Lord and a pure conscience. All such 
graces which pour from the Holy Spirit in us, including the spiritual reality of our invisible armor detailed in Ephesians 6, becomes the weaponry to which we cling in our relentless battles with darkness. The spiritual weapons of faith, battling against all that comes against the truth of the gospel, pull down the strongholds of which Paul had been exposed. To embrace this from, from Paul's human context, the the strongholds, the strongholds were all of these boastings and the lofty aspirations that the opponents of Paul raised up as a discredit to him and in an attempt to ignore the gospel. Today, strongholds invade our own minds and we desperately need to do battle against these strongholds. Uh, there was a Chinese man by the name of Li Fuan who had tried every treatment imaginable to ease his throbbing headaches. I love this story. Nothing helped. But an x-ray finally revealed the culprit. A rusty four-inch knife blade had been lived in his skull for four years. You see, in an attack by a robber, Fuyan had suffered lacerations on the right side of his jaw. He didn't even know the blade had broken off inside of his head. When that was discovered, problem solved. We cannot live with foreign objects inside of our brain. And we cannot live with foreign influences inside of our mind. It just doesn't work for the fulfillment of faith in Christ in our lives. What becomes the strongholds in our minds? Regrets? Fears? Guilt? Such things become the dangerous and controlling byproducts of our circumstances that can lodge like a rusty knife blade in our minds, forming a stronghold. And we need to tear these strongholds down. So how? On to verse 5. You see, Paul makes a statement in verse 5 to mirror that Paul not only wanted to approach his opponents with... With, with truth that was correct and right and on point. But Paul desired to do this with humility. Paul desired to show that Christ Jesus controlled his reactions to the enemies, even down to the point of his own thoughts. So here we find application to our thought life. Now hear how Paul displays his approach to all the conflict that came against him. We demolish, according to verse 5, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Nothing in the opponents pushed Paul, even in his thoughts, away from honoring the Lord. So now that we've looked at the fact that there is a, a spiritual battle taking place, we now come to a second truth. The mind. The mind represents the location. Of this spiritual battle. This is where we make some significant applications. To how we must. Allow our minds to be controlled by our Lord. Uh, there exist. Two specific ways that the enemy himself. Attempts to come against our faith in Jesus. On the one hand there exist the subtleties of. Of his wicked ruses or trickeries. And on the other. The blunt oppressions and attacks. The attention of this present text focuses upon the subtleties of tactics the enemy Satan brings against us. And these are primarily pitted in our minds. So consider from our text three specific attacks from the strongholds that Paul referenced in verse four. 
First, Paul states that we cast down arguments. This references imaginations and speculations. The term arguments or speculations and imaginations expresses the meaning of a device. This is really unique. The meaning of a device and, and how that device becomes plans from a wicked world. The various systems of false philosophy and human reasoning that can come as enemies against the gospel of Jesus Christ. So when the gospel was first proclaimed, it became a conflict with all world religions and prevailing philosophies at that time. And this is obviously still true today. So to the wise of the world, the truth of God was like foolishness. Speculative thinking and imaginations can at their root become tangible, here's the word, devices of Satan to trick our minds and to manipulate our thoughts. Adjoined with these false philosophies come personal opinions of others as well. Media and advertisement, commentaries, social media posts, even comments by well-intended friends, and even your own thoughts. Such uh, faults and, and, and voices that can't be depended upon can create a dangerous false narrative that uh, constructs how we think, feel, and of course how we act. The prophet Isaiah once announced this declaration from God. And this is what he said, For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the intelligence of the intelligent I will most certainly frustrate. Isaiah 29 verse 14. But nevertheless, regardless of how God said, I will frustrate the wisdom of this world, many people, even Christians, continue to live by the false narratives that the world can bring into our mind. Author Aaron Brown defines life's false narratives as plastic truth. I love this analogy. She observes, what we have said so many times in our heads become our plastic truths. Over time, these fake parts of our story cement in between the real truth. The problem? We create a false narrative from all the voices speaking into our lives. If I may translate, we allow the wrong stuff to get into our heads. This becomes the arguments, the imaginations, the speculations. These different voices and influences represent the devices the enemy uses in our minds. They bring a weighty, rational thought. And Paul asserted that we are to destroy the imaginations and speculations and arguments that have come against what God has said is true. But why false narratives? Why speculative thoughts that can rule us? The short answer, the only answer, sin. Interestingly, in Romans chapter 1, if I may take you to another passage real quickly to describe the brokenness of our thoughts. In Romans chapter 1, verse 21 through 23, we are given a picture of the sheer brokenness of man's wisdom. Now, hear these words. For although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God nor gave thanks to Him. But their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise... They became fools. This represents the present philosophy of this age and our own erroneous thinking when we fall to the wisdom of this age and to the wisdom of man. 
So what are we called to do? You see, we cannot fight philosophy with philosophy, for in so doing, we reduce the gospel of Jesus. How can we fight against human reasoning with human reasoning? Paul has said in the previous letter, 1 Corinthians, that he did not come with human philosophy nor wisdom. He relied steadily upon God and his truth, God's truth sown in his mind and heart, his inner man brought the life-changing truth of Jesus Christ. This alone represents how we tear down imaginations, made-up truth, speculations, and arguments that ignore the truth of God that's revealed in Christ. So, one attack of the enemy on our minds represents an attack of, of arguments, these speculations and these imaginations that are destroyed and pulled down when we cling to the truth of God revealed in Christ. Secondly, how is the mind a location of spiritual warfare? Every high and lofty thing that raises up against the knowledge of God becomes another way. The Greek, panhypsoma, translates every high thing. We read it right here in verse 5. This obviously does not reference the height of goodness or godliness, but just the opposite. Anything of this earthly and worldly region over which Satan has influence that would pretend to be good. Anything that would be exhausted against the, exalted against the truth of Jesus becomes the ultimate emphasis here. This refers to any human idea or argument that forms an obstacle to the emancipating knowledge of God contained in the gospel of Jesus Christ. This references every pretension that could appear logical and right, but represents what is false. This expresses every lofty and prideful re reasoning, which becomes exalted against the knowledge of God. A battle between truth and error becomes the issue in the mind of man, and the wisdom of the world has become pitted against the wisdom of God. Men exalt themselves and their knowledge, unwittingly or not, against the wisdom of God. When you live by your own counsel, the chances are very, very high that you are moving against the way and the wisdom of God. Paul's description of lofty thoughts, when he wrote that we demolish every high-minded thing, represents by the original Greek term the idea of demolishing a fortress, that must be conquered. The lofty thoughts of man hold the mind captive as they offer thoughts that are strongholds to our way of thinking. And they become demolished and not simply argued against as we live out the sincerity of our faith in Jesus Christ. Again, we cannot simply build nice arguments against what infects our minds. We must destroy them, render them helpless, like a fortress that needed to be conquered. And we do this with the doctrine of our Lord and Savior Christ Jesus alive in our lives. So this takes us to a third way that the mind can represent a location of spiritual warfare. Third, every thought. <laughs> if, if we have something that was not included in the first two expressions of where our mind becomes embattled, the third sums it all up. Every thought. Chapter 10 of 2 Corinthians verse 5 concludes with, We take every thought captive. The human mind must be bridled, restrained. This stands up the standard 
that no thought outside the doctrine of Christ should condition our mind. No thought. How can the mind with boldness, brazenness, and the will of the natural man be restrained? The imagery offered refers to making the mind captive. This becomes the great and forgotten discipline of most Christians. We are to voluntarily consider our thoughts held captive by the truth of Christ. Thoughts of regret and self-punishment, guilt and shame must be met with the grace and forgiveness of Christ. Lustful thoughts must be met with the dignity Christ Jesus has laid upon every person as an object of his love. Thoughts of greed must be met with the all-sufficiency of Christ our Lord. His doctrine, His truth must meet every thought and must order our thoughts. Our understanding should be brought into captivity, led submissive as though bound into obedience to Christ. We must renounce our own understanding and submit as obedient children to the teachings of Christ. He who would be wise in his own mind becomes a fool. First Corinthians chapter three, verse 18. I love this verse. First Corinthians three, 18. If any man thinks he is wise in this age, he must become foolish so that he may become wise. Wise in the truth of God revealed in Jesus. Uh, translated, if you think you know what is right based on your own wisdom, how desperately you need to bring your thoughts captive to Christ. So we have a spiritual battle raging in front of us at this very moment. Like Paul, this battle comes from other people, from accusations, and from this culture. Our minds... The battlefield represents our minds that are constantly under attack. Our minds locate where this spiritual battle takes place. And we need to bring into captivity to Christ all arguments of this culture against the gospel of Jesus, all thoughts made lofty by man's arrogance, and every thought that we ourselves develop. They all need to come under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Your mind, dear Christian, needs to surrender to the presence of Jesus in your life. On a personal note, God has taught me these three simple steps concerning how we make the application. God has taught me these three simple steps of the repentance of the mind concerning thoughts that are more influenced by the culture and ourselves than by the truth in the gospel of Jesus. First, measure every thought by your affection for Jesus. Either your thoughts need to change, your affection for Jesus needs to change, or likely for all of us, both. Second, repent from thoughts that do not agree with Jesus. Repent of those thoughts. I know you may sense your thoughts are so private that no one suffers from them. How about the fact that your thoughts always predicate your feelings and actions? 
Repent of those thoughts not in sync with Jesus Christ. Third, become active in not simply listening to, but applying God's truth. Put His life-changing truths to work in your life by studying and applying His truth. I pray that these three steps help you to move to that place of repenting over thoughts that aren't honoring to Jesus Christ. Did you know this? Did you know that an adult's brain only weighs about three pounds? We most likely learned this in our elementary science classes. But did you know that the brain is made up of about one billion microscopic neurons? Each of these neurons look like a tiny branching tree whose limbs reach out and touch other neurons. In fact, each neuron can make between 5,000 and 10,000 connections with other neurons. Sometimes even more. That's more than, if I'm doing the math right, 500 trillion connections. A memory is essentially a pattern of connections between neurons. Every sensation that you remember, every thought that you think transforms your brain by altering the connections within that vast next network. By the time I complete this sentence, if you're listening to the words, you have created a new memory from what you've heard, which means your brain will have physically changed. It's amazing. As your brain is neurologically always connecting, so your mind will always be conditioned by the very thing to which your mind connects. This becomes the emphasis of this teaching that we find in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Yes, the reality of spiritual warfare takes place right in front of us. We know that because through others, through accusations, through the enemy's work, we can feel the tension between how we desire to live by faith and the pressures of this culture. We understand the spiritual battle. But your mind locates that spiritual battle. Your mind becomes the battlefield and constantly under attack from the arguments of this culture, from the lofty ideas, and just about every thought that comes into our mind must be tested because it can easily become pitted against the truth of Jesus Christ. Guard your mind, the scripture says. Guard your heart, the center of your soul and your being. Oh, how important it becomes to realize that our minds are woefully under attack. Every thought can represent an attack from the culture. Measure your thoughts by your affection for Jesus. I hope that you love Jesus enough that you would measure every thought by your deep love for him. And if the metric is not there, then secondly, repent from those thoughts that do not agree with your love for Jesus and Jesus' lordship over your life and then actively apply God's truth. This is why the teaching series becomes so important. Every time the word of God is read and taught, we're being equipped to better follow our Lord Jesus in this world that is always pressing against us. So I want to thank you for being a part of this teaching today that reminds us of how vulnerable are our thoughts and how every single thought must be brought captive to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. The guilt, the shame, the, the, the improprieties, whatever becomes the classification of your thoughts at this moment, bring them under the Lordship of Christ. Make them 
bow to Jesus. Make those thoughts become subordinate to Christ and surrender your thoughts to the Lord. If, if you know Jesus Christ personally, I pray that surrendering your thoughts to Jesus will not be the forgotten discipline of your life. I pray that you will every moment measure your thoughts by Christ because your mind, your thoughts truly matter. If you've never had an opportunity to place your faith in Jesus, I know that many times talk about faith and about following God may sound more religious than relationship, but I assure you, according to the whole counsel of God's word, faith in Christ references relationship only. You may see uh, religious-like activities as an expression, but far greater than any profession of religion stands a relationship with Jesus Christ that the Bible teaches. God has offered his love through Jesus. And if you've never accepted that love by faith, I'd like to pray with you. And after we pray, there will be a website location on the screen that will guide you to where we can have conversation about the, the joy of knowing Jesus personally. And scripture says, if you believe in your heart, God's raised Jesus from the dead. If you confess with your mouth, he is Lord, you'll be saved. So I ask you to offer this prayer if you've never trusted Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Dear Jesus, I confess you as my Savior and my Lord. I, I confess my sin and that I need my sin forgiven. Jesus, would you take my sin away? I, I confess you as Lord. I believe that God has raised you from the dead. You died on the cross. You rose again. And by faith, Jesus, I trust you. You can offer that prayer. And Jesus will hear because the prayer is simply based on the scripture. Jesus will hear and because God's word never returns back void. Oh, if you offer your heart to Jesus in that way, uh, he'll hear and God will, God will bring you to himself through your faith in Christ. You'll be saved, your sins forgiven, and you'll know the joy of walking with Jesus. And you'll also know the joy of Jesus being Lord of your whole life, including your thoughts, including your mind. What a great, awesome gift we've been given. The greatest gift ever faith in Christ, salvation, the joy of sins forgiven. Oh, I pray that you know Jesus. Thank you so much for joining us for this time of teaching. It's been an honor to sit with you and, and to hear God's word speak into our lives. Join us next week as this teaching series continues. Remember, the mind matters. What a place for a battlefield. Surrender every thought to Jesus and you'll see his victory come to light even in your thoughts. Love you a lot. God bless. Thank you.